Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. The books of the Old Testament can be viewed from differing perspectives. On one hand, we can think of the Old Testament as a compilation of interesting stories that convey certain moral and ethical teachings. This is the common thought, and it's easy for the natural mind to grasp. Another perspective takes a more intrinsic view, and it is this view that compels us in this study called the Life Study of the Bible. First and Second Kings contain many stories, to be sure, but they also convey the rich, intrinsic significance of the entire Bible, that which is centered on Christ, in His person and in His economy, for the establishment of His kingdom. Welcome to the life study of First and Second Kings. And as is always our distinct pleasure when he's here, Ron Kangas is uh, part of this first program. Good to have you back, Ron. Uh, it's good to be here, and I'd like to tell you, Chris, that um, I enjoyed some of the utterances in this opening statement. We're talking about an intrinsic view of the Bible and of the Book of Kings and of the intrinsic significance of the entire Bible. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to just fully enter into these kind of expressions because they convey what's also in my heart and in my spirit related to this life study, that although we will pay attention to the historical chronology and kings and to the events, but that is really the backdrop to see how the book of Kings is related to God's economy concerning Christ as the embodiment of God and the church, the body of Christ, as the expression of Christ, we'll see that God needs a person, and that is Christ, and he needs a kingdom, which is also related to Christ. And the book of Kings is very much related to Christ, both in type with David and Solomon, and in the preservation of the lineage or the genealogy through the course of history. So right at the beginning, it's good to sound this note that in carrying out a life study, we say once again that we want to penetrate into and touch and even extract the life element in the Word. And that life element is actually God in Christ as the Spirit embodied in the Word. When we touch this life element, we are spontaneously brought into God's economy concerning Christ and the church. This is the essence. This is the focus of this life study. We might as well admit it, and we're glad to admit it right in the beginning so we can establish the atmosphere and get into the spirit of the ministry on this book. Well, let's embark on this life study. Uh, A couple of verses here at the beginning. Uh, This book is a 
uh, is somewhat a continuation, I would say, of Samuel, First and Second Samuel, which we recently completed. This is not merely a history. This is very much a continuation of the line we began in Samuel, that God's economy in Christ is very specifically unveiled here. But at the end of Samuel, David was firmly established on the throne, and we pick up now in 1 Kings with uh, the end of David's life and the transition to the second major king in uh, the succession in the nation of Israel, and that is his son Solomon, of course. Chapter 2, verse 10 says, Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And verse 12, And Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. We'll see that these first two kings, Ron, I think make the point you made a moment ago, that these books do point us very specifically to Christ. Let's join Witness Lee. The intrinsic revelation of the history according to the record from Joshua to Esther is to unveil to us how the eternal economy of God was carried on by his elect on the earth. Adam was the created race, but now God needs a chosen race. And this began with Abraham. God carried on his eternal economy by his elect by his chosen people on the earth. This eternal economy God is altogether concerning Christ and for Christ. Two kings are for Christ, mainly in the person and kingdom of Christ. For Christ's person, there is the need of a people that could be the lineage of his genealogy to bring him into humanity. So there is a need of a people. For Christ's kingdom, there is a need of a land on this earth. The whole earth was created by God, yet the entire earth has been usurped by Satan. So God use his people to get a part of the Satan usurped land for him to have a footstool on the earth to set up his kingdom. So God's carrying out of his economy needs a people and a land. These two lines, the person and the kingdom of Christ. These two lines form the governing line of the divine revelation in the books of the history of Israel. Ron, a people and a land. I guess in a way this uh, is a very brief summary of the whole Old Testament, isn't it? It is. The, uh, the matter of the land and ultimately the earth is central. Because this is where uh, the battle is fought between God and his enemy. When God has someone on the earth standing with him, he is the God of heaven and earth. When there's nothing on earth for him, God, so to speak, has to withdraw into the heavens and be only the God of heaven. 
So the earth is crucial. How can any king have a kingdom without territory, Mm. without land? Mm -hmm. And then God must have a people. God created humankind in his image for his expression. Through the fall, both humanity and the earth were usurped by Satan. So, temporarily, God had neither land nor people for his kingdom. But, in his economy, based upon his redemption, God recovers both the land, that is the earth, and his chosen and redeemed people for his expression. When the land and the people are together, that is the kingdom. This is the straightforward significance Mm -hmm. of the history. There must be a people who are of God, and this people inhabits a land, part of the earth, that is the footstool or the beachhead for the Lord to repossess the whole earth. This is a central matter that's taking place even as we speak. God wants to be the God not only of heaven but of earth. For this, he must have a people. Outwardly, in the Old Testament way, he has Israel. And just consider the conflict that is related to this. Mm -hmm. However, God's economy is carried out primarily through the church, composed of the believers in Christ, the children of God, And this is what we want to see as the intrinsic significance in this life study, that our land is Christ. The land of Canaan typifies the all-inclusive Christ for our experience and enjoyment. So we are the people of God in Christ as the good land, becoming the dwelling place of God and the kingdom of God. This is God's economy, and this is, to say it again, the intrinsic view in Kings, and the intrinsic significance of the whole Bible. Hmm. You mentioned something a moment ago. Let's pick it up right now. And that is the matter of these first two kings, David and Solomon, and typifying aspects of Christ, which clearly underscores that this is the view that uh, we want to stay with in our life study on the books of Kings. David, typifying Christ in his suffering, We surely know Christ suffered. Solomon, on the other hand, typifying Christ in glory, Christ exalted. I did find a verse, Ron, in the New Testament I thought I'd read just before we joined Witness Lee that connects these two. Luke chapter 24, verse 26 says, Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? What a rich find. So right away, with this view before us, We concentrate on Christ, not merely on the objective history of how did David end and how did Solomon assume the throne and what did he do as a king and, and this and that. All of that is part of the record and it's important. But our emphasis, we say unapologetically and unashamedly, is to look for Christ wherever we can find him and to look for clues concerning God's economy wherever we can detect them, because these are the central, intrinsic things in the Bible. Well, we have one who was absolutely expert in helping us find Christ in such a way. Let's go back to Witness Lee. 
the Bible is not a book of history. The Bible is the record of the divine revelation concerning God's eternal economy, of which economy Christ is the center and reality. So, in understanding any book of the Bible, we should hold this point of view, especially in the life study of the two kings. The two kings are apparently the history of the kings of Israel. Actually, there are books written in the inspiration of the Spirit of God in the way of being related to God's eternal economy. You may ask me, how could you prove that the two kings are related to God's economy? Okay, the first two kings, David and Solomon, are important types of Christ. David typifies the suffering Christ. Christ has two aspects. The first aspect is of his suffering on this earth before his resurrection. From his birth, he suffered. He was born into a manger. That was his suffering to him. Then he was ended by being crucified. So the manger and the cross are the two ends of this suffering Christ. David was his type. David, from his youth, he suffered. For what? This suffering is for conquering the enemies. They are usurping enemies and gaining the land. Eventually, David conquered all the usurping enemies in Canaan, and she gained a great part of that land. That is the ground. Solomon typifies the Christ glorified in the kingdom of God and its splendor. Maya, look at Solomon. He is glorified in the kingdom of God with the splendor of that kingdom. This is just like Christ in the millennium. So these two types are strong evidences that the history of the kings of Israel are related to God's economy, which concerns Christ as the body of the triune God and concerns the church as the organic body of Christ. Ron, we have these two aspects here covered, and of course I give you full liberty to speak according to your burden. But I was struck by one thing, and that was the connection here, the linkage between the suffering Christ being the conquering Christ, typified by David. It was the suffering that prepared him for the conquering that followed, wasn't it? This connection is um, really quite startling, but there is no conquest of the enemy without suffering. Why is that? Uh, Nothing is more costly than warfare. And now we're talking about spiritual Mm -hmm. warfare. Right. Uh, You're dealing with the enemy. 
and in dealing with God's enemy. And this is something Brother Watchman Nee has helped us to see in his classic book, The Glorious Church. In dealing with the enemy, we cannot spare ourselves. We cannot give any ground for ourselves. So we must have the capacity to suffer. And the fighting itself, although there is a inward supply, the table in the presence of the enemies, it is extremely costly. Then there is suffering that prepares us, that trains us. Uh, any soldier today goes through a kind of training. That's right. not vacation time. It's strenuous. It involves a certain kind of suffering. So David, a man of suffering, a man who was trained and gained during his sufferings, was a conqueror. He was a fighter. And our Christ, the man of sorrows, right. In the hour of his supreme suffering was a glorious victor over the enemy. Through the suffering of the cross, he not only redeemed us through the shedding of his blood, but destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So we need to look beneath the surface of David's life and see the connection between David's life and Solomon. If we do this, we will see that if we suffer with him, according to Paul's word in 2 Timothy 2, we will reign with him. Right. And in between the suffering and the reigning is the fighting. So we have a Christ who suffered, who conquered, and now who is in glory and in exaltation at the throne of God, even as we speak, reigning in splendor. And he will come again not to be crucified, but to be glorified in his saints and to establish his kingdom and fulfill the type of Solomon. And he will reign on his throne in Jerusalem with glory and splendor. And all the earth will turn to him and seek him, and he will reign in righteousness. This is a wonderful view that will be fulfilled prophetically, but it's outlined for us in the types properly opened up and presented to us in relation to God's economy, which is the intrinsic significance of the Bible. Profound thought. All right, let's go to our final segment today. We want to come back now to seeing that the good land is a type of the all-inclusive Christ for our enjoyment. And uh, a good verse in the New Testament that helps us to this understanding Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you for a share of the allotted portion of the saints in the light. A clear view to the good land. All right, here's Witness Lee for our final segment. The main striking point of these historical books concerning Israel is to show us in detail in the way of topology. How to experience Christ as the good land given to us by God as our portion. This is fulfilled in Colossians 1.12. First, the book of Joshua shows us how to gain, to take possession of, and to keep the good land. Then, the books of Judges 
wrote and the first and the second Samuel give us pictures of certain persons showing us how they remained in and enjoyed the good land. Just to keep the good land is not adequate. Needless to say, just to gain a possess, even keep it, that's not adequate. But you have to enjoy the good land. This is today's problem. Many Christians, genuine Christians, they have Christ, but they don't enjoy Christ. So these books in typology show us in detailed way how could we enjoy the good land as Christ after the took possession of it. Ron, I love this view, I know you do as well, of Christ typified by the good land. All the believers possess Christ, or have Christ in a sense, surely, from the moment we receive him. But how much are we enjoying him? And he, he makes this uh, striking statement here. It's not just enough to keep the land, but you have to possess the land. That's really what's before us in our Christian experience, isn't it? It is. We enter in to Christ. We need to maintain our standing in him. We need to possess him, experience him, and enjoy him. The book of Kings takes place in the land. And it's called the book of Kings because it's focused on the kings. And we should say at the outset that most of the kings were miserable failures. Right. And their failure resulted in a corporate failure ultimately the loss of the land for a period of time and captivity in Babylon. And one thing this highlights to us is that the kind of person we are, our motive, our being, our attitude, the degree of our fellowship with the Lord and openness to him, very much affect our enjoyment of Christ. Because as the book of Kings makes clear, and as this ministry on the book of Kings will emphasize, the person, the living, the attitude, the behavior of the kings directly affected their enjoyment of the land. Right. In principle, this means that although we are in Christ, the all-inclusive one signified by the land of Canaan, whether or not we enjoy him and the extent to which we enjoy him will largely be determined by how we are. If we are ambitious, if we are careless, if we do not have regard for God's word, if we do not care for God's interests, if we indulge ourselves, things like this, all of which was exhibited by many of the kings, we will lose the enjoyment of Christ. That is a tragedy. So there will be this twofold message in the life study. Oh, let us enjoy Christ. Let us live a life in God's economy that qualifies us to enjoy Christ. Let us be warned by the tragic outcome of the kings. It ends with desolation and captivity. It ends with the destruction of the temple, the loss of the land, the captivity in Babylon. That is pitiful. Yes, eventually we'll get to the recovery books. We will see the recovery. But we're not on those books 
in this series of messages. We're on the kings, and we need to have this dual focus, the promise and the warning. Let us enjoy Christ, but let us learn to live a life in Christ worthy of this enjoyment. Ron, I feel we've had an excellent beginning here by the Lord's mercy and grace. Certainly none of our doing, but uh, I look forward with uh, great anticipation as we continue on now in, in what has been established for us as this intrinsic view of these books of Old Testament history. You mentioned the Life Study volume. Let's go ahead and uh, mention that to the listeners right now. It's one volume that covers both the books of First and Second Kings. We hope you'll contact us to find out how you can receive that volume. Our toll-free number, if you'd like to contact us, one eight 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 Life Study eight 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 five four three three seven eight eight. Lord willing, we'll come together again very soon and continue this fellowship. The Lord willing, Amen. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks so much for listening today. This program is brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, publisher of the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. To find out more about these two 20th century New Testament ministers, we invite you to visit our website, lsm.org. There you'll find more than 600 titles from both authors available online. You can also listen to recordings of Witness Lee's spoken messages and see the full array of material that Living Stream has to offer. Again, That's lsm.org. Thank you for listening today.